Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. Here at Our Lords, we're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And we love to worship, and we love to look into the Word of God together, and we love to do the works of Jesus. And this is kind of our practice time together so that we can go out into the world and do it there, too, on your job, in your school, in your home. And on that note, um, I'm just putting this out there because we're gonna pray for the sick at the end of the service today. So if you are one of those, you're feeling it in your body, you're sick, then we're gonna pray for you. And Wallace and Catherine are gonna come up and uh, facilitate that especially, and then we'll have other people. And it's Wallace's birthday. So happy birthday, Wallace Walcher. We honor you, Wallace. I don't think I know two people who love the church of Jesus more than you two. So we really, we acknowledge, happy birthday, we love and appreciate you. And I can't believe you're 40. <laughs> Hard to believe, Wallace. Time flies. So they're gonna be listening for some hunches, some senses, some words of knowledge for, for people. And I would encourage the ministry team to be doing that as well, because we are gonna lean into that big time in the coming days. We're going to believe that the Lord means what he says, to pray for the sick, to pray for one another. And then as we grow in confidence and faith in that, then we'll be doing more and more of that out in the world. Some of you already are, but the rest of us have to catch up with you and grow in that. So if you want to open your Bible to Revelation 15, we're going to dig into this chapter and praise Jesus. It's eight verses and not 18 but I was telling Amanda this morning, this chapter is like a protein bar. It's smaller, but it is packed. It is dense. So we're going to do some things. It's going to give us a little time today to do a bit of review. But before that, we are in part 17 of our series. This is an absolutely God and Christ-centered book. It's God-intoxicated. It's a book of worship that fuels our worship and empowers our witness. And we're seeing in the previous 14 chapters, it is a book about spiritual battle, isn't it? A conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Between the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the unholy trinity the dragon and his two beasts, and all they can do is imitate and mimic and fall short of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Last week we saw in chapter 14, the triumphant lamb was standing on Mount Zion with an army around him, an army of martyrs. We also saw that there were angels that proclaimed the eternal gospel along with other messages, and then the chapter ended with two harvests, one grain harvest and one grape harvest, one gathering of the righteous and one judgment of the wicked. So today we're going to look at chapter 15, and it is called the victorious martyrs of the new exodus. 
I was thinking this morning that sounds like a Christian metal band, doesn't it? Wouldn't that be a great, the victorious martyrs of the new exodus? And I borrowed that. There's a commentator that loves Jesus and loves the scriptures, and he's devoted many years to studying Revelation. His name's Craig Keener, so I'm grateful for these Christian scholars. I borrowed that from one of his outlines there, the victorious martyrs of the new exodus. What we're going to see, we're going to unpack these eight verses, and we're going to see in verse 1, there's an amazing sign And then secondly, we're going to see these victorious saints worshiping God, and we're going to dig into the song that they sang. And then finally, the third piece there, we're going to look at the angels that are commissioned to actually pour out plagues or judgments on the earth. Chapter 15 has an interlocking function. What we're going to see is that it concludes a section, but it also introduces the next section. And so I want to put up this slide. I've told you that I wouldn't do much of this because I think oftentimes you can get lost in the details, but I do want us to look at the outline. If you'll put that outline up there for me. If you can see, this is going to be a three-part outline. How's that? Isn't that nice? Three parts. So Revelation 1 to 3, as we've seen, is seven messages from the, rev, uh, from the risen Jesus. Those are the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. We looked at them. And essentially, Jesus is appearing to John, the apostle, and he's giving or dictating seven letters. A second section here. And again, we're doing this just to kind of help us with the lay of the land, where we've been, where we're going. Kind of helps us keep the big picture in mind. Revelation 4 to 11. Scenes from the heavenly court. From the throne room, if you remember, I've referenced everything flows out of these initial chapters. So Revelation 4 to 11, we get glimpses. John is taken into heaven and sees how God's kingdom is coming in the history of the church, how it comes in human history. And then finally, Revelation 12 through 22, and we're right in the thick of this, is a cosmic war, spiritual battle. Satan is attacking the followers of Jesus, but look at that. He's finally defeated. We saw from the beginning of this book, Jesus is Lord and Jesus wins. The kingdom is coming and the kingdom will come. So how's that for a three-part outline? Not too bad, is it? One to three, four to 11, 12 through 22, and that just kind of helps us see the overall lay of the land with Revelation. So let's read this. And let's stand. Let's stand. This is a shorter one. If you're able to stand, you can stand. Why do we do that? The Jews did it when they read Scripture, and therefore the early Christians would oftentimes stand. Revelation 15, 1 to 8. Then I saw another portent or sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them... The wrath of God is ended. And I saw what appeared to be a glass, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. 
Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your judgments have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the temple of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, robed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were ended. This is the word of God. You can be seated. As I said, this is a rich, dense passage here, but we're just going to look at the Three parts of it. The first is found in verse 1. It's an amazing sign. It's angels with plagues. This is amazing. And it's linked to two previous signs. John is very careful in the way that he brings this vision together. After he receives it from the Lord, he helps connect the dots for us. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, that there is another sign And it was the sign of the radiant woman who represented the people of God, if you remember that. Another sign, a negative sign in 12.3 was the great red dragon. So this is yet another sign. One commentator says that signs point beyond themselves and disclose the theological meaning of history. So the sign is pointing us toward something about God and God's truth, as we'll see here. Why is it amazing and marvelous? Because it's awe-inspiring. We'll see later on that the Lord is visiting all of nature, the human race, and the kingdom is being established as he topples over the kingdom of Antichrist. These are seven angels with seven plagues. You see it there in verse 1. Why seven? Seven is that number of completeness. Right, So this speaks of the certainty of what is in chapter 15. It is certain and it's complete. And we'll see at the end of the chapter that no one can stop it. No one can stop God's predetermined purposes and plans. It's last, the text says, right? Because with them, the wrath of God is ended. The second section here, and I really want to dwell in the second section So we look at this, do a little bit of review on the beast, the Antichrist, but verses 2 through 4, before these really intense scenes unfold in the next chapter, chapter 16, this is like an interlude of praise. It's a moment where there's a sigh and a turning to God. John sees an army of saints throughout the history of the church, and they're worshiping God. They're declaring who God is. They've overcome the dragon and his two beasts. How? Revelation 12, 11, Through the blood of the lamb. Through the word of their testimony. And by not loving their life, even to the point of death. So again, John is signaling here the battle is won. We've seen it over and over again. But we've also seen that unlike many people kind of reading Revelation in a linear chronological way, we've seen that John is, the Lord is showing John different angles into the same scenes 
sometimes. And this is one of those moments here. Verse 2 shows the the setting of this song, which we're going to drill into here in a minute. But it's a sea of glass mixed with fire. Look at that at verse 2. Like many of the symbols, this has multiple facets of meaning to it. Perhaps an allusion to this bronze laver in the temple, Solomon's temple, which signifies how God is separate from creation. But I think more likely, listen to this. This is going to open up the whole passage. Think that it actually is signifying, symbolizing the Red Sea from Exodus 15. Because God is enacting a new exodus. And the saints are worshiping and praising God for this new exodus. This will make more sense as we hear the mention of Moses and the plagues and the tabernacle. You'll see, as we've seen with many chapters, that John is filled with the Old Testament. So this is another one of those moments. A new exodus is happening. In the Old Testament, we've seen that the sea oftentimes represents chaos and evil. Where did one of the beasts come from, the first beast? You remember? It emerged out of the sea. In the Old Testament, in the Exodus story, the Pharaoh was actually a sea monster. He embodied an early beast. He was the one who attacked God's people. Remember that in the Exodus story. He was ruthless. He attacked them. He tried to put an end to them. He tried to kill the infants. And so this is signaling here, there's another sea, but it's different. The vision is showing here that the sea is calm. And the fire signifies that God is judging the beast and the place of the beast. What's fascinating here is that if you remember, Israel, they stood by and watched God through Moses do his thing, right? To bring deliverance. And what's happening here, though, they're actually standing as the lamb stood. They're standing with him, and the story is showing a level of involvement that we don't see in that original Exodus story. Why is it important to see that they are standing? It's the same word that's used in chapter 5 of Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 6 says that the lamb was standing. Do you know what it represents? Resurrection. These are saints who cannot be stopped. They follow the lamb wherever he goes, and they stand as he stands. They stand having conquered death, the resurrection power of God displayed through them. These saints conquered the beast, as we saw from chapter 14. I thought this would be a a good moment here for some who are joining us, or maybe even to just kind of go back and look at who this beast is. The beast keeps cropping up. You see it again here. The saints have conquered the beast. Look at what the text says. They conquer the beast at verse 2. The beast's image and the number of the beast's name. 
thought we could take a moment here. Would it be helpful to kind of look back and revisit who the beast is and what the beast does? That was a resounding yes, right? Yes, let's look at it. The beast shows up. I heard my dad laugh. Thanks, dad. Verse 11, verse 7. Again, we're just kind of looking. The beast is one of the primary characters that's going to show up in this cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Revelation eleven seven says this, that the beast comes up from the bottomless pit. That's where he makes his appearance, out of the abyss. And he's the one that makes war against those two witnesses we saw in chapter 11, which represent the prophetic church. The beast is making war against them and killing them. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, talk about the beast. He is the Antichrist. And as we saw, the beast represents Rome, first century Rome, and its emperors. But we also saw that this beast represents all satanically empowered, tyrannical governments that persecute God's people and exalt themselves as gods. Chapter 13 also says that the beast, thirdly, is supported by the false prophet. Do you remember that? This religious spiritual system, and for them it was the cult of emperor worship to get them to worship the government and the leader of the government, to trust in the power of the empire or the state. And this beast the false prophet required a mark on the right hand and the forehead. And catch this, and it used economic, political, social pressure to force people into submission and obedience to the Antichrist system. The day is coming, friends, when the enemy, we may see it, we may not, will use all of these things, the state, the empire, economic, political, social pressure into submitting to its agenda. And so Christians will increasingly face, as the scriptures teach, Jesus is Lord, not the state, not the empire. And we will follow him at all costs. That's really one of the messages we're encountering here today, and it's sounding forth over and over through the book. And so we at Our Lord's are making it abundantly clear that we follow Jesus. We're grateful for political systems and we're called to pray for our leaders. But as we've said over and over again, you're going to hear me say it, our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. And if anything causes us to deviate from that in the inner trust of our heart or an act that would cause us to disobey him and our ultimate allegiance to him, and our involvement in the community, we don't do it. Amen? And so we want to make that crystal clear because, friends, a great deception will come. A great deception will come over the church. The New Testament prophesies it. And so we want to be wide awake. And we're using text like this as a grid through which to view, a lens so that we can discern. And, friends, it's going to require sharp, acute vision and discernment in the coming days, isn't it? And we're gonna to have to make some unpopular choices, even now. We know we're in the last days, right? Because after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, 
the New Testament makes it clear. So we are in the last days. Are we in the end of the last days? No one knows except the Father. So this beast we also saw, because we looked at 1 John 2.18, is one in a series of antichrists that appear throughout history. We saw some of their faces a few weeks back, didn't we? But it will culminate in a final antichrist. 1 John 2.18 says this, Children, it is the last hour. You see that? In the New Testament, they, they recognize they are end time, last hour people. God's timetable is different. As you have heard that antichrist is coming, John says, so now many antichrists have come. From this we know it is the last hour. We want to be wise to these things. We always focus our attention on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we want to know our enemy. And so that's why we're going to pay attention and review some of these things about the dragon and the beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet. It's interesting, the text goes on here to say, and I think it's kind of suggesting one of the ways that they probably brought victory, and now they're announcing it. Look what they're holding in their hands. The end of verse 2. They're holding harps, where there's kathara, and they're harps of God, which means basically they're harps to play to God. And as you see in Scripture, any time a harp shows up, it's praise and worship, but it's also prophecy. 2 Kings 3.16 talks about Elisha the prophet, and he calls for someone to bring a harpist in, a guitarist, play that thing, so the Spirit of the Lord will come, the Spirit of prophecy will come on me, and I'll prophesy to you. And so when we see these harps show up, It's praise and worship, but it also signifies the voice of God is going to sound forth. Look at verse 3, the title of this song. The title is, it's the song of Moses. Brad read this. We read it earlier. We sang it. It's the song of Moses that shows up in Exodus 15. I encourage you to go back and look at that this week. Read Exodus 15 and read Revelation 15 together. And what does it say? Not only is it the song of Moses, it's the song of the Lamb. Signifying here that there's a unity between Moses and between Christ. Between the old covenant people of God and the new covenant people of God. Israel celebrated the victory of God in Egypt as God brought deliverance through Moses, his servant. And now the new Israel here in this text is celebrating the victory that God has brought through Christ, the Lamb of God, and the greater Moses. Victory over the Antichrist. Let's look at the song a little bit here. It's a song obviously riveted and centered on the person of God. Almost 80% of this right here in these verses, verses 3 and 4, comes from other scripture. Let that sink in for a moment. This vision mines the Old Testament scriptures and draws all of these rich truths about God and God's works and God's ways. 80% of it. Look at what it says here. God's works in verse 3. They sing the song of Moses. Great and amazing are your deeds. 
your works. This is taken out of Psalm 111, verse 3, word for word. God's name is praised. Look at the name here. It's stacking up the names filled with meaning. Lord God Almighty. The song is declaring this is Yahweh. This is the Savior, the Redeemer, the covenant God that the scriptures talk about. He's Elohim. He's the creator, the provider, the sustainer of all life, the sustainer of the church. And he's El Shaddai. This is the name of God that was used for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Friends, this is a God-intoxicated song. That's why we sang it this morning. God's works, God's name, God's ways. God's name is mentioned again. Just and true are your ways, king of the nations. One person says that this is a lyrical outburst of the greatness of God. That's what this song is about. God is great. His ways are awesome. His works are awesome. And he's the one that brought victory over the Antichrist. He's the reason that we're standing with the Lamb. That's what the song is saying here. Friends, I want to say that this is a model to follow. It's a model for worshipers and prayers. We find new songs in the old. Do you hear me on that? People are always fascinated. What's the newest? What's the latest? Friends, the newest is found in the oldest. That's what this is saying here. So you songwriters and prayers, mine the gold veins of Scripture. In the ancient words and songs are new songs. Jesus even said this in Matthew 13. Jesus said that kingdom disciples bring out new things from the ancient storehouse. And he's talking about Scripture. I want to suggest that the Scriptures are the mine and the quarry from which our worship leaders draw new songs. We want to sing the Scriptures. Use it just like that one that we sang this morning was straight from Revelation 15. I would also say if you are a prayer warrior or you're wanting to be a prayer warrior, mine the Scriptures. Pray the Bible. There's no more powerful word, no more powerful words given than what we have here from Genesis to Revelation. Sing it. Pray it. Remind God. Point to the promises and say, you said this. I'm standing on it. I believe it. Unleash the power. The, the word of God is like a hammer that shatters rocks. It's like a fire that consumes. Friends, we're people of the word, and they were too. They sang and prayed the word of God. Verse 4 says, Lord, in view of this, who would not fear and glorify your name? Gives three reasons here. You're holy, all the nations will come before you, and your righteous judgments are made evident. I just want to look at the second one here briefly before we look at the next section. Lord, all the nations will come. Look at that in verse 4, right in the middle of verse 4. All the nations will come and worship before you. How is that going to happen? 
Some will do this voluntarily. That's us, you and me. In love, we get to come to the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, and join that international multitude that's already before his throne, Revelation 7, 14. So you get to do it voluntarily in love and say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you myself, my body. I am all your, I love you. I devote myself to you. Jesus is Lord. Or one day involuntarily. We read in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now is that window of time where we and those that we're inviting into the kingdom through the gospel of the kingdom get to voluntarily submit their lives to the Lord Jesus. But friends, it's coming the day is coming when all the nations will be gathered together before the throne of God and his Messiah. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. We've won. God is one. He's not on our side. We're on his side. He wins. And his lordship is sure. As I read this, I don't know about you, but I'm challenged. Think about what they're doing here. They are singing and praising God for his judgments. Is that registering? I've been trying this in recent weeks, and friends, it's hard. Lord, do I have even close enough perspective and maturity to do this? And I just sense him saying, I'm going to grow you up. I'm going to show you how to do this. So the church in the coming days can actually worship God for his judgments, his discipline on the earth. Now, we've already seen, haven't we? We saw it in earlier chapters, 3 through 7, that we're clothed with Christ. This is not judgment directed at the church, at believers. Brad was singing about it. If you were in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, you're living under his lordship, you're clothed in Christ. The wrath of God was absorbed through the cross, through his broken body. But friends, this is discipline that is coming to the nations at different times. And so a text like this, can we as Christians say, Lord, bring your discipline to the nations, including ours? Is that challenging? That makes me squirm. Lord, bring your discipline to the United States of America. We've spit in your face. We're mocking you. We're brainwashing our children with various political and sexual agendas. The Lord does not like that. It contradicts the truth of his word. Can we stand before him and say, Lord, we are willing. Now, listen to me here. We are willing for you to bring discipline to our country, and we suffer. Do you hear me? So the wrath of God is never directed at the church. But may we undergo suffering as they did in the first century? What do you think? Yes. If we happen to be a part 
of a group of people, a nation, a country that is under the discipline of the Lord, we will suffer. Is that sinking in? And friends, I'm with you. I'm on my knees saying, Lord, I don't have the maturity for this, but I sure want it. And I know that all of this is your mercy and your grace, and only you can empower me and our church and your church to endure what's coming in the days ahead. Only you can do it. It's a project of your mercy, your deliverance, your salvation. But friends, we got to read the word of God. we got to face it. we got to let it get inside of us and challenge us and prepare us for what we might face. Amen? The last section here very quickly, and then we'll make time to pray for the sick and celebrate Christ's victory over sickness and death. The thir- third section here, verses 5 through 8, is the angels are being commissioned with plagues. And we're going to look at this more thoroughly in the next chapter. It's going to, the camera is going to zoom in and show us the details of this. But so that we understand what's happening here, it's continuing this Exodus theme. The heavenly temple is mentioned. And that's what was constructed after the people of God were delivered from Egypt. The Lord showed them this is the, the tabernacle where I'm going to meet with you. So we have another reference to that. They come from the heavenly temple here, the one that was the pattern for the earthly temple. So they're coming from the very presence of God. Look at that at verse 5. How are they clothed? They're robed in bright linen with golden sashes. Where else have we seen this? Anyone? Where else have we seen this? Chapter 1, Jesus was dressed the same way, the same language. He was wearing a white robe with a golden sash. And so the, the text is saying here that the angels follow the master. The angels follow the high priest of all high priests who's clothed in purity and holiness. The only true judge And so they're doing the bidding of Jesus, who is the king of all the angels. These golden bowls here, we'll look more at this next week. But they're given to the seven angels. These are wide, shallow bowls, kind of like a saucer that was used in the earthly temple. And it's interesting, they're linked with the golden bowls full of incense in chapter 5, verse 8. And if you remember back in chapter 5 and chapter 6, those prayers that were captured, this was one of them. Chapter 6, verse 10, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? Friends, what's happening here, it's another exodus on the earth, an end-time exodus as the Christians face the beast and the system of the beast. You remember Israel cried out to God? They were just being ground to nothing, being mistreated, their children being put to death. They cried out to God, and he sent Moses. A similar thing is unfolding here in the last days. 
the people of God are being persecuted, killed, even their children. And so God, as the text will show us next week, gets involved. God steps in. And when God steps in, listen up here, because I've been trying to figure out, Lord, how do we deal with judgment? Listen, when God shows up, it's judgment to some and good news to others. So as the church, and we're saying, Lord, visit, judge, discipline, remember mercy, please, right? Because what's it say? What triumphs over judgment? Mercy. But Lord, as you visit the earth, your holy presence breaks in to human history. It is painful for some people because they have not looked to him. They've not trusted him. They've sealed themselves off from God in its discipline and its judgment and hard for them. For others, it's an eruption of praise. You're here. You're avenging the blood of your persecuted people. You're getting involved. You're delivering just like you did in the Exodus story when you set those slaves free and made them your people. So friends, this is a new Exodus that the Lord is enacting and these symbols here from this vision are telling us that God is going to bring breakthrough. All right, I'm ending here. I just want to read this thought here. The church's prayers are mingled with fire from the Lord's altar, and they're thrown to the earth. And here the angels are given bowls filled with God's wrath. Therefore, God forms us forms Christ in us to cultivate his character in us, giving us his heart of love so that he can trust us to pray according to his sovereign plan. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says this, God our Savior desires for everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God does not want anyone to perish, but to be saved, to be in a life-giving relationship with him and his church. God is love, right? 1 John 4, 8, God reaches out to the human race in Jesus Christ with persistent, relentless love and mercy. This gospel is being shared with every people group on the planet, isn't it? We're living in this moment where that's happening. But those who reject the gospel, an invitation to be saved by the mercy and grace of God will experience judgment and the wrath of God. So I would say today, if you're listening or you're here with us and you're not right with God, come home. Come to him. He's full of love and mercy and grace. And this is the hour of voluntary submission to the Lordship of Jesus. But for those who turn away, it will be all involuntary. So Lord, we thank you for your word. The bitter and the sweet. And I'm just lingering here for a minute because I think God is working. If that's you, give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're coming home 
you hear this and it sobers you up. It is a sobering word. Wake up. Turn to him. Come home. Give your life to Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you after the service. If you want to come up to me or anyone up here and say, I'm one of those people. Give my life to Jesus afresh today. So Wallace and Catherine, why don't you come up here? His word is good, isn't it? I know we've got some folks who are into chiropractic things. This is the chiropractic work of God. We're out of joint. I'm out of joint. And it goes in and adjusts us and makes the adjustments we need. And we submit to him. You have anything you want to share? Great. Wallace and Catherine, the birthday man. Technology. Um, you'll understand this if this is you, but sometimes when you're in the desert and you want to get out, but you don't know how, you suddenly realize you kind of feel comfortable in the desert and it's almost familiar so you don't want to get out but I'm just saying God is a God of strength for the weary and he gives power to the weak to get out of that desert and don't sit and be familiar there there's more for you outside the desert So the uh, situations that I felt like the Lord wanted us to be praying for was for people with uh, kind of ongoing back pain, uh, for knees, for heart disease, or for dementia. And then the last thing is family estrangement. And when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about either people who you're in kind of in pain because family members have cut themselves off from you or maybe you have an offense towards family members and you really don't want to associate with them and you realize that that's not what God's will is and so you'd like prayer for that. So once again, backs, chronic back pain, knees, heart disease, dementia, and family estrangement. When it comes to dementia, I was thinking we were talking about singing the song of Moses and it talked about in the Bible when Moses died, the last thing he did before he died is he walked up to the top of Mount Nebo. It's 2,300 feet. And uh, it says when he died, his eyes were not weak, nor was his strength gone. And so I'm just praying for the uh, Moses anointing on us. Uh, and, and those of you who may be facing dementia, that God would reverse that and, and allow you to live out your days in health. And one of the things I was, I was wanting us to make sure we do is there's a bunch of people that are, that are watching online both right now and sometime in the future. And if that's you, I just want to declare that these prayers and the power of God is available for you right now. So I'm just going to ask for the healing anointing of Jesus Christ to come right now. And if you're watching from 
your home or, or wherever you're watching from, both right now here on my birthday, June 13th, or a year from now, you just happen to be up on watching this. We declare the healing power of God is there for you. And so let's just, let's just pray a prayer together before we uh, have people come down. So, Jesus, we declare that as the song said, you are a miracle worker. And as another song that we sang said, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. So, Lord, we speak healing right now to backs. Chronic pain in your back, we say go in the name of Jesus. Knees, people with knee pain, even you've been told you need a knee replacement. We say be healed in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those of you with heart disease, arteries are clogged up, got valve problems, You've had a heart attack. We say, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Those of you facing dementia, or you're wondering about it because you feel like your mind is not as clear as it once was, we say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus, come and renew those minds. And those of you with family estrangement, either you've been cut off or you've cut off your family members because of bitterness, Lord, we ask that you would come and heal that, that pain in the name of Jesus Christ.